Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Well, today is going to be a little different show. Uh, Joe's out of town and with Sunday's news about Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, and the seven other passengers who died in that helicopter crash in Southern California. We just uh, wanted to keep it simple. Now, we do have a great interview for you. Um, I'll lay out some of my thoughts on Kobe, but we'll get to an interview with legendary sportscaster uh, Dan Patrick. Spoke to him last Friday while he was in town at his sportscasting school that he has set up at Full Sail University. Uh, Really just a fun interview, but also got an idea of what he hopes to get out of this and what he hopes the students that he has at that school uh, will get out of it as well. And he he comes down a few times a year and and what an opportunity for those kids to get to interact with someone, the ilk of uh, Dan Patrick. Uh, But before we get to to more of that, and uh, I had to lay out some of my thoughts on just what this week's been like. I, I think it's without a doubt been one of the saddest weeks in sports history. I I think when you look at it, I heard Pat Williams, the Magic co-founder, was on uh, some TV show and said he compared the the death of Kobe Bryant to when Princess Diana died. And he, Kobe clearly was a global icon and he was also crossed over into so many other sports and had become kind of a a worldwide celebrity outside of sports as well. So uh, for me, I'm 35. So I grew up idolizing Michael Jordan. I had the posters on the wall. I read all his books. I had the life-size Jordan that was dancing around Kevin McAllister's house in Home Alone to scare away Harry and Marv. The shoes, I was rocking those in junior high. I, I loved the game of basketball and was really obsessed with Michael Jordan. But then, of course, he retired, and I think everyone wondered, what now? Turned out the answer was Kobe Bryant. He had the fadeaway like MJ. He could make the midair adjustments like MJ. He was a basketball artist like MJ. And we would find out eventually he also had the work ethic of MJ. And as we now know that, it was the Mamba, the Mamba mentality. So, For me, that's what Kobe represented. He was the safety net for me as a basketball fan and an MJ guy. And for a lot of kids my age who idolized Jordan, we kind of felt, okay, we can take a deep breath. Basketball is not coming to an end because you still now have a superstar like Kobe Bryant to carry the game along. And for kids who are a little younger than me, like my wife, for example, uh, who's four years younger than me, he was it. I mean, he was the goat for them. My wife grew up in Los Angeles, and she was in tears on Sunday, as I assume most of us were when we got that news, and you start to think about it, and the news comes out uh, that his daughter's on there, and then the other families that are being affected by this. But for her and many other people around the globe, he was the goat, whereas Michael was the goat for uh, my generation. And when I was growing up, That's who Kobe is, and Kobe's the GOAT for many of the NBA players who are playing right now. I heard an interview with Paul George uh, of the Clippers 
who grew up in Los Angeles, and he said that he, he is our GOAT and many athletes around the world. And that's why I think you see the tributes pouring in uh, from athletes around the world, from people playing sports in, in, on other continents. I mean, Neymar, I think it was Sunday evening or Monday, he scored a PK, plays for Paris St. Germain, and he holds up the 2-4. Kobe was a well-known AC Milan fan, so at their most recent game, tons of Kobe tributes. And I think that just shows you the incredible impact that he had in his 20-year career as a Laker. But I think why this is affecting so many people, even more so than, than him just being an NBA star, it's that he was a father. And we had seen in the years since he retired a few years back, his Instagram taken over by him being with his four daughters. Uh, And he was clearly a loving, adoring, supportive father and a girl dad, which has now been trending on social media. If you've been on there, thanks to the incredible storytelling by ESPN's L. Duncan. If you haven't heard it or seen it, you, you need to go check it out and make sure you have some tissues with you because Kobe was so proud to be a girl dad. And when Al L asked him, uh, she had a little interaction with him at ESPN the opening. Uh, it may have been a couple of years ago when L was pregnant with her daughter. Um, and L asked him if he wanted a boy. Kobe said no. He wanted five more girls. He was so, he so loved being a girl dad. And as a proud girl dad, it's hard to not get a little choked up because, you know, those three daughters of Kobe's no longer have a father. One of his was seven months old and unfortunately will not remember Kobe outside of what, you know, Vanessa, his wife, will tell her or, you know, what she sees on TV and the stories about him. But my daughter's three years old, and I'll tell you what, she's she's definitely my everything. And to see the photos of Gigi and Kobe hanging out courtside at basketball games or practicing with each other, uh, it's, God, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. And uh, there was a great piece in The Athletic written about Gigi and uh, a story where a bunch of people were coming up to Kobe at a basketball game telling him that he needed to have a boy to carry on the Bryant basketball legacy. Gigi was standing right there, stepped in, and put him in their place and said, we don't need a boy to do that. I'm going to do that. And if you've had a chance to, to see any of Gigi's highlight reels that are out there on the Internet, you can see it. She was she was going to be a star, and Kobe had said that he had a feeling that she was going to go on to play in the WNBA. Huge UConn fan. It was cool to see that uh, UConn made a tribute to her on, I believe it was during their game on Monday, with her number uh, UConn number two jersey and some flowers. Her favorite player was Trey Young. She had a chance to meet Trey. Trey sent out a number of tweets, uh, for pictures from that first meeting between her and Gigi. So uh, just such a sad, sad story. Of course, in addition to Kobe and Gigi, the other passengers uh, included Orange County College baseball coach John Altabelli, his wife Carrie, and their daughter Alyssa, a mo- another mother and daughter Sarah and Peyton Chester, Mamba Basketball Academy coach Christina Mauser and the pilot, Ara Zobayan. So I don't know what the NBA is going to do. Um, Lamar Odom 
says that Kobe should be the new logo. There's talk of them possibly retiring his number league-wide. I think we'll just have to wait and see on that. Uh, but the Dallas Mavericks owner, Mark Cuban, already came out and said no Mavericks player will ever wear number 24. And we've seen some players around the league, Spencer Dinwiddie, also here in Orlando, uh, Terrence Ross deciding to change his number uh, from the number eight. He's going to go back to the number 31, which he wore for the first two and a half years here. So I think we're going to continue to see different tributes. And we'll, tomorrow, Friday night, um, or not tomorrow, but whenever you're listening to this, uh, it's Wednesday. So Friday night, the, the Lakers and Trailblazers play their first game. The Lakers do their first game since the news came out, and that's at Staples Center. So um, interested to see all of the tributes and what exactly they do. I'm sure the emotions are going to be running incredibly high. Uh, we saw LeBron James uh, breaking down when he came off the plane because they, they found out while they were flying back from Philadelphia, you know, hours after LeBron had passed Kobe for third all-time on the scoring list. And um, if you're listening to this, I appreciate you letting me just speak into the abyss and, and it is cathartic. I, I've been listening to sports radio and watching all the videos and, and watching Shaq on TNT last night as, as he broke down. And, uh, and while it's tough to watch, it, it is. It's, it's comforting to know that you're not the only one that's, that's struggling a little bit with this. And uh, it's one of those things on Sunday when I hosted Sports Night, I, I said it's one of those days. It, it's one of those events where you'll remember – where you were when you heard the news that Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. And um, just saying those words is, is still extremely tough three days later. So, yeah, thanks for sitting and listening to this and yeah, all the tweets. I threw out my girl, hashtag girl dad, with uh, some pictures of myself and my daughter Sage. And uh, I don't know, I hope uh, the Mamba mentality is is – We'll learn from that, and I just picked up his book. Greg Warmoth gave me that, so I'm going to read a little bit about that. But watching some of these old interviews, I think, also with, with Kobe Bryant, when he talked about his legacy, and it's, it's, it's scary when you listen to it because it almost feels like he knew if, whenever he passed away that these would be the, the interviews and the talking points that, that would come back up. But it it's extremely impressive to hear him speak about his approach and hard work and that Mamba mentality. And I think it, it goes into everyone's day-to-day -day life. If you're working in whatever you're doing, bust your ass and work hard and go for it. And if you fall down or you lose, whatever. I mean, that's why Kobe wanted to take the last shot every single time and why he was such an NBA legend. So I, I'm, I'm excited to get through that book and learn more about some of his, his thoughts on how he got to be as good as he was and as dominant as he was and just that passion that he had. And I'm sure that that will live on in his three daughters who are still with us. All right, so with that being said, uh, our interview for this podcast course a little bit different here on sports brothers tough to joke with that news of kobe bryant but on friday before the tragedy we we sat down with dan patrick the legendary sportscaster so you're not going to hear any 
about Kobe Bryant, but uh, he was in town visiting his sportscasting school that he has here at Full Sail University and uh, was working with those students, uh, but did give us about 15 minutes of his time. Uh, you may have heard recently, I think it was back in May actually, so almost a year ago or about nine months ago, six months ago, I'm, my math's awful, um, but he came out and said that he had had some medical issues some chronic joint pain that they had first given him prednisone, then had to go uh, into chemo to treat it. And that was causing some brain fog and memory issues while he was doing the show. So he came out and just told people about it. And that generated a lot of headlines. Uh, he seemed to be doing better, but I asked him about that and he had some good answers. So I just hope you enjoy this interview with Dan Patrick, one of the greats, obviously the host of the big show with Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick in the early days of Sports Center, of course, now the host of his own Dan Patrick show uh, that you can listen to every day. And he's down at the Super Bowl right now with the Danettes. But uh, hope you enjoy this interview with Dan Patrick. So we are here with Dan Patrick at the Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting. And I wanted to just open with this. You could have very easily just thrown your name on this school and not come down here and cast a check for whatever these kids are paying. Why is it important for you to, to come down and, and instill the knowledge that you've gained? Well, I wanted this when I was growing up. I didn't know how to, I knew what I wanted to do, I just didn't know how to do it. And then to get together with Full Sail, and then I could develop a curriculum with their help. And now you know, I brought in friends who worked with me at ESPN. So n now we have something. We have something unique. We have people who are actually doing this or did do this for decades. And, and this isn't to disparage any other place in America doing this, but we have people who you know, can say, this is what I did when I did it, as a director, as a producer, on-air talent, reporter, writer, uh, somebody on the assignment desk. Those are all part of our staff. And to be able to have that sort of knowledge in one place and give you that opportunity to absorb as much as possible, then to say, we're gonna help you get a job, I just thought it was a one-stop shop and the rewards are greater than I ever thought. Because when you see somebody get a job or you hear from employers who say, wow, you're doing something here. Whether it's ESPN or Nesson, this, the emails that we get back from employers, that's where you, you're making a difference and that's what we wanted to do. You kind of touched on that then. So getting the jobs is all obviously the, the goal, but how will you 10 years from now look at this and judge whether or not this has been a success? If it's still going the way I think it's going to go and then some. When we first started, we just had a couple of students. But I knew what we had. I just had to get the word out. And then you get those first students, and they were awesome because they were all in and then you get feedback from them to make this better for the next wave of students and then the next wave of students and then you say we're going to get you jobs and then they get jobs and then they're going to help the next students get jobs in 10 years i hope we have a dynasty here i hope that we're this is just the place to go and that will make me as proud as anything I ever did on the air in my career do you have a long waiting list to get in on this school right now cuz the class size is still pretty small yeah uh, you have a lot of students online, and then you have students that are on campus. And, you know, to see the crowd, you know, we had a group of students, uh, you know, earlier, and you just look out and you go, this is unbelievable. And, it's, and you could see they're, they're bright-eyed and they don't really know what's going on. 
they know what they want to do. And to be able to sort of take somebody who's a teenager and then send them out in the workforce as a man or a woman, and that's what you want. You want to have good students. You want to have good people. And that's what our goal. It's not just, hey, here's the basic skills. It's you got to be able to, you know, how do you acclimate in the newsroom and get along with people and just a variety of things you don't even think about. You just go, I don't know, it's what I want to do. Well, there's a lot more that goes into it and that's what we're trying to help you with before you get into it and go, I never learned this in school. We just want to give you the answers to the test. But I, I hope in 10 years from now, uh, I'm, I'm still relevant and they still want to hear from me, but I still think uh, I, this will be thriving. It's such a competitive business. I You've been here, watch you teach highlights. Today you were teaching interview skills. What is the message you try to get out to them that you think may have helped you in the past that you want to instill in these guys so they can be successful and find jobs? I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know how to get in the business. And I just, I tell them to be professional. Um, do your homework. Uh, small things that people don't, people think if you're on TV that you're good. When you get on TV is when you need to be good and get and want to be great. Always want to be great. You're never going to get there. You're never going to be as great as you want to get, but always be hungry. No, because you guys have aspirations. This isn't the end job for you. But while you're here, you want to be great at what you're doing. Because then that next job, they're going to ask your employee, well, how, how was, employer, how was he? And then you want them to say, great in the newsroom, do anything, volunteers, works you know, extra day. Those are the things you tell them. And to be able to give them some kind of insight into this business and how crazy it's going to be. It's the most competitive job field in America. You've been at the top of that job field for so long, decades now. Was there ever a moment in your career, though, that you wondered if you had picked the right path or were second guessing where you were at? I lost the weekend job at Channel 2 in Dayton, Ohio, and I was 27 years of age. And I was told I was getting it. The guy who was my competition, who was a regular reporter, told me I was getting it, told me I deserved it. And I didn't get it. And I nearly quit the business. And I had a friend who said, why don't you just come down to Atlanta maybe bring a tape and go in and see CNN. And I go, I just, I didn't get a job at Channel 2 in Dayton, Ohio. And the person said, but CNN is hiring. And I wouldn't take no for an answer. I just, I was so adamant. I was indignant. Like, I, I, I have to be in this business. Don't, don't people see past the acne and the bad haircut and bad clothes? I got talent. And I wasn't going to leave there without a job. And I got a job the, the last day of vacation. I went in and I, I just wasn't going. I said, I'm not leaving until I have the head of sports come out. Came out and looked at my tape. And he, he watched three minutes and 41 seconds out of five minutes. I said, I, I might get a job. And he said, when can you start? And I, I was doing headline sports. I wasn't even on camera. I was making $18,000 a year, which didn't matter. Couldn't care less. And I, I was living in my Toyota Celica for a little while. I didn't care. I was doing sports. I was getting paid to do sports. I took a $10,000 pay cut from what I was doing morning drive news. And I just said, this is what I want. Six months later, I'm in New York. I've replaced Keith Oberman as the New York reporter. I'd never been to New York in my life. 
lied to him and said, I can do it. <laughs> I, I started covering the Celtics with Bird. You know, I covered Baltimore, Boston, New York, Philly, and DC. Any stories that came up, I went to those. And then a year and a half later, anchoring in Atlanta, and then probably a year after that, my contract expires. I call ESPN, say, do you know who I am? My boss said, yeah, you interested in hire me? Yeah, that was a Friday. He said, when can you come up? I said, Tuesday, and he said, okay. Went up, didn't negotiate, signed for my contract, and uh, left CNN. And then I went to ESPN for 18 years. So it's, I, you, you gotta have some kind of confidence, but you also have to have some understanding of the odds are really, really long. I was just naive, but I was not gonna be told that I couldn't do this. And you're gonna get kicked you guys know what that feeling's like, where you go, what am I doing? I'm in a small market in Redding, California. Like, I'm so close to LA, but I'm not close to LA. And then you have those doubts. And uh, I just, I think I was too dumb to really recognize the doubts. I just said, I, I'm either getting this job or I'm never gonna do this for a living. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I was lucky. Sports Media Hall of Fame now. What did that mean to you? I, I think it means you're old, because I don't think they put in too many. It's not like, um, you know, uh, Terrell Davis, hey, you played five years and we're going to put you in the Hall of Fame. Gail Sayers, you played six years. Kirby Puckett, an injury ended your career. It's like, you got to be in there a long time to get into the Hall of Fame. So that, that wasn't lost on me. But, uh, you know, there's part of me that thought if I had a chance, I could prove that I was great. And it drives me every day, every single day. This doesn't change anything going into the Hall of Fame. It's wonderful. It doesn't change the next time I go back to work on Monday. It doesn't change one thing. It means now you have to be even better. Do you think you know, they called and people tweeted out that video all over the place because you could see the emotion was there for you. How have you been able to, I think, connect with the listeners or the viewers um, you know, when you unveiled that what you were going through? I mean, was it May last year with uh, your health? How have you been able to connect? Because I think that's the biggest thing now with social media, and they want us to connect with the viewers. How, how, do, you, how do you feel like you've done that so well? It's just being honest. I, I, I don't have anything to hide. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't approach my job the way most do. I'm not here to rile you up. I'm, I'm here to be sensible, have a logical take on things. Um, and I was taught this you know, with a great family, you know, you got to be humble. You know, you got to be a good person. And why not let them in? I always want you leaning in when you're listening to the show or watching the show. I want you to feel like, and subconsciously you may not even know, I want you listening like this, because I want to bring you in. And if I'm bringing you in, then why don't I share something within? And that's what I did. I was making mistakes on the air. I was going through chemo. I had brain fog, uh, headaches, and I wasn't, I wasn't good. Now, I don't know if the audience knew it, but I knew it. And I just said, you know, I'm going to tell you what's going on here. And, you know, even the self-medicating, where I'd drink at night because I couldn't get to sleep. I never slept through the night for six years. And then you're just letting people know. And then there's so many people who are afraid to go to therapy, afraid to admit they have a problem, uh, don't even know what the condition is of one of their loved ones. That, that was the reaction I got, was a lot of the people saying, thanks for adding a voice to this. Because 
they may look at me and go, you got a great job. What do you, you make a great living. You got four great kids, a beautiful wife. Exactly. It can hit anybody at any time. It doesn't, you know, something like this doesn't go, you know, let's pick on the guy who's really low on the totem pole here. It doesn't work that way. And I think my wife said, you might have done something better than your career wow. by doing that. Yeah. So and she's always been the smart one in the room. And she said, you, you don't know who you helped, but you helped somebody today. You talk about that humble approach and being honest and not trying to get people riled up. Is there still room in the business for that? Because so much of it right now is just <laughs> Maybe hot take not. after hot take. I, but I tell people you can have a hot take if you've done your homework. In this moment, or in this medium, in the moment, it's, well, what do you think? And I always say, could I, could I have 24 hours? Could I, could I think about this? Could I have 10 minutes? Could I have an hour? What happens is you have hot takes and that's why you have a website freezing cold takes yeah. because guys make stupid comments there. And it's not reflective of what the industry should really be about. It, it feels a little bit more carnival barker, three ring circus, notice me. And I was never taught that way. And I'm a dinosaur in this business, but I still teach my students have some quantity, but have quality. You'll never go wrong with the quality of what you're saying. Be thought out, be reasonable. You can be emotional, you can be angry, that's being a sports fan. But when you do it and it's an act, people see through that. And I don't want my students to be that way. We don't teach hot takes, we teach smart takes. I like that. After this, you're gonna go down and be at the Super Bowl and the man cave travels. Do you have any input or you know, who puts that together for you guys when when you get down there? We have some great people, set designers who, now I've had input in it where, you know, we, we built a, like a condominium high rise in New York. We built a, a New Orleans style mansion. I mean, it was kind of crazy. Yeah, they are. Um, and this one is just sleek, it's beautiful, and uh, you know, it's tastefully done. But, but you know, I've been lucky that AT&T and DirecTV rolled out the red carpet to, to make a statement there. But still, you can dress it up. If it's not great, it doesn't matter what your set looks like. It doesn't matter what you're dressed like or you look like. It's, are you, are you getting something different than everybody else? And I pride myself with the people I have, the Danettes, we're trying to do something different than everybody else. We're trying to get something. We're trying to have those athletes do something different in the moment. Uh, we've had all these quarterbacks throw passes at one of my guys, McLovin, and then he'll make fun of them prior to them throwing a pass, yeah. so then they want to take his head off. Uh, we read uh, draft profiles. So you got all these great players, and they're there reading their draft profile, and there's a lot of negativity there, but they're reading it live in the moment. Those are just fun things that separate us, but I challenge my guys, be different. Always be different, wanna be different, think of it differently. And uh, they've, been, they've been great, great team partners. You guys obviously find great ways to have fun around the game, but is, is watching the game of football, watching the Super Bowl, is that still fun for you? Do you still enjoy just the sports of it? It's work. I, I can't listen to an interview without thinking of how the questions are being asked or what kind of answer you're getting. And, and I, I caution my students, you, you have sports as a hobby now. It's not gonna be a hobby if you do this for a living. 
And while you think that's great, I have to have breaks from sports because I have to know a little bit about a lot and a lot about a little. And you just, you gotta be careful that it'll consume you. And you gotta make sure that you're a, a full person. Like you, if you have a, a, a wife or a husband and you have kids and you gotta be in that moment with them. And I wasn't for 15 years when I worked at ESPN. I had the best job getting notoriety and I wasn't at home. I wasn't doing what was, you're supposed to do to be a good husband and a good father. I let, I let the business consume me because I, I just was obsessed with being great. And that's what I would make sure that people understand. Your hobby is going to become your job. Therefore, you need another hobby. And make sure you have that. That's great. As dads here and yeah. fathers will try and husbands will try and remember that. And what can we do? Rapid fire. Okay. It's going to be hot take-ish. Yeah. We're going to ask you the kind of a rapid fire, the, the classic sports arguments. And we just want you Well, you should probably take 30 minutes, but we just want <laughs> to get, get an answer. So right. uh, is Eli a Hall of Famer? He's going to be. Uh, he's going to get in. Should he, though? Uh, my criteria, probably not. But with the criteria established, and I like him, and if he gets in, great. It's just... And I celebrate the Hall of Fame, but I, just because you had two great games and a good career doesn't make you a Hall of Famer. Should Jeter have been a unanimous selection? I couldn't care less. I, I really, I, nobody's perfect in, except for Rivera. Why? The only perfect person I know, he walked the earth a long time ago. Nobody should be perfect. If you don't want to vote for him, great, don't vote for him. You want to vote for him, fine. Derek Jeter still has a better life than 99. The percent of votes he got, he has a better life than you. Yes. Best sportscaster ever, Bob Costas or Dan Patrick? Bob Costas. LeBron or MJ? Michael now. If LeBron wins another title in LA, it's a, it's a, different, it's a different argument because it's not apples to apples. But I, I, I think LeBron still has a chance to win that conversation. Who should get more credit, Belichick or Brady? I'm going to say Belichick because he built a team. Tom took care of one side of the ball. Bill had to take care of everybody. So. Final one, which one of the Danettes do you want on your dodgeball team if you were competing in the Pro Bowl dodgeball competition? Seton. He's <laughs> sneaky athlete? and he's mean okay. and a pretty good athlete. And McLovin hasn't dodged a few before? Um, he's clumsy. <laughs> he's clumsy. He'll, he'll hurt himself. You might not even have to hit him. Yeah, Fritzy, no. Paulie's the most competitive guy in the building. But Seton, Seton probably is a little bit more well-rounded. Paulie's only got one good eye. You know, it'd be tough being a good dodgeball player. <laughs> there's, a, there's a prop bet for the Super Bowl this year. Will J-Lo show butt cleavage at halftime? Who you got? I don't know what butt cleavage is, first of all. Don't Google it either. Uh, <laughs> I don't want that on your phone. I, I, I'm going uh, to hope not. Okay. Now, if A-Rod shows butt cleavage, then that's different. But uh, He's I, more of a shirtless guy. I yeah, think. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Sunning himself. Yes. Dan, that's all we got? All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right, man. Appreciate I it. I did want to say this. Christian Brewery. 511, 175. Ding. Been listening to the show for so long. <laughs> I just had to say it. That was pretty cool. A guy that I certainly idolized watching Sports Center in the mornings and Sports Center at night. 
uh, as I got into this business and uh, sitting down and just listening to him talk, uh, definitely some things I'll be taking out of that as I, I try to continue on my career uh, here at WFTV and whoever, wherever else it, it may lead. Uh, but I do want to close with, you know, with the news of Kobe Bryant. I think it goes without saying. Uh, we saw. So I thought it was awesome to see a lot of people that may have had beefs. You know, there was Kevin Durant and Kendrick Perkins going back and forth. Maybe it was a week ago uh, on social media, and I think it was Kendrick tweeted out right after the news of Kobe passing and said, "You know, let's bury the hatchet. I love you, brother." And and I think. If anything good can come out of this, I hope it's that, and I hope it's that we do all cherish the time that we have with our loved ones, with our families. Make sure you tell them you love them. Hug those little kids tight because we, we don't know what's around the corner and how long we do have on this earth. So with that being said, no dad jokes. Uh, on this episode, but Joe Kepner will be back next week, and we'll have an interview with uh, NASCAR champion Brad Keselowski for you on next week's episode. Thanks for listening once again and uh, letting me just get some of my thoughts off my chest about everything that's uh, come to be with the passing of Kobe Bryant. So with that being said, RIP Kobe.